Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 156. I'm your host, Eric Moore. This week, we're going to be talking about inflation, some of the components, uh, just a little bit now on some forecasts that don't have inflation moderating, but we'll discuss that. And finally, we're going to get into what happens historically when the Fed raises interest rates. So there's been a lot of debate about, hey, once they start raising rates, does that really hurt the market? What components of the market get hurt? And what I would say is we really haven't had a tightening cycle with inflation, with material inflation since, oh, I don't know, you know, the late 1970s, early 80s. Although we did have some in the late 80s going into the early 90s, which preceded a little bit of a, a small recession. No one remembers the Great Recession of, you know, 19, uh, <laughs> 1990, 1991. Uh, you know, anyway, we had one back then. So we'll kind of discuss that. But I do think the it's of interest to see not only happens with bonds, but what happens with stocks historically when we see the Fed raising rates. Of course, there is some discussion about James Bullard came out and said he sees 100 basis points. That's a full 1% move higher in rates. Other members of the, the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, that's who sets interest rate policy, said, no, no, we, we, we think we're going to do something a little more measured. Measured means a, a quarter point increase is not what Bullard's calling for, you know, 50 basis points. And then, so, and it is interesting. We saw the probability based upon the, the CME Fed probability tracker of a full 50 basis point. That's a half percent rise in March at the March meeting. The probability of that was in the forties. Now it's back down and into the thirties. So, Seems like at least the market is expecting uh, certainly one rate hike, but not quite two yet. So, all right, so let's get into it. And first off, a lot of people are saying, you know, okay, so he, here's the thing, right? When they release the inflation numbers, so this week we're going to see PCE, uh, which is the Fed's measure that they like to use. And PCE compared to CPI, and then, of course, you have core CPI, CPI, core strips out food and energy, PCE, core PCE, same thing, they strip out some things. Really, the difference between the PCE and the CPI is the weighting of stuff that's in each of their baskets. So CPI does weight, uh, you know, cost of housing and and. Uh, you know, and, I, and maybe I'll do one of these. I mean, I don't know how many people would be interested, but owner's equivalent rent is certainly, uh, you know, the thing that you hear, and I'll, maybe I'll explain it at a different time. But it's basically your cost to, uh, to, to you know, have, have housing, right? And so in the, in the course uh, PCE or PCE in general, that's weighted less. And anyway, so let, let's move on there. But my point is, you know, when they release these numbers, it seems like people are surprised. And there's a lot of analytics that are out there that have been really forecasting that the numbers would be high. So when you look at something like the CPI, 
and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, the Cleveland Fed comes out with a now cat, a now cast, a now cast or estimates or forecast of the present. So the way a nowcast works, it's basically, hey, any data that we have, let's put it into the equation and see what it spits out. And I've talked before about the, the Atlanta Fed GDP now, same thing as the data comes in. And so the closer you're in to the actual release of the, the data, that's these, these tend to, uh, to converge. But right now for February, the CPI estimate month over month is 0.67%. And so it's February, which means including February, we'll have 11 months uh, of data left. If I annualize that, it winds up to be about 7.62% CPI. And the core CPI is estimated February month over month to be 0.49%. Uh, PCE, by the way, about 0.52%. Core PCE, 0.42%. We're going to get core and regular PCE this week for January. So I was just talking about February. And those are around a half percent. So my point of saying this is people shouldn't be surprised when the February print comes out, and that will be released in March, February inflation, because the nowcast is telling us right now they're estimating CPI to be on a year-over-year basis about 7.76%. And that would be higher, I believe, than what we had in January. So I, I don't know why. I, so I think what's happening is a lot of the, the financial stuff that we watch, I mean, you can get this information. You can get these forecasts. They're out there. But then it comes out. And it hits the headlines. And what's happening is those headlines are also going to your local news. They're going to, you know, the nightly news channels, channels that don't necessarily cover financial things on a regular basis. So inflation still, you know, forecasted to be high is my point of all this. So, um, you know, there and sticky versus flexible inflation. Sticky is edging up a little bit. And there's a lot of debate about what they should do about it. We've talked publicly on this program uh, on ones, and I'll link to those uh, that Jay Pestercelli and I did, saying that we're not sure that the Fed raising rates is necessarily the antidote for this little round of inflation. I think, and it's, you know, a lot of times, uh, economists and, and different people, they always look at monetary policy. But in my opinion, it was the the shift from experiential purchases, meaning vacations and going to the movies and doing stuff, to goods, things that have to be put on a plane or a container and a container ship and brought into the U.S. and, and brought over to your house by Amazon. So I think that's part of it. Like there, nobody looked at, we had the, the same supply chains that we've had, the container shipping and all that stuff. It's been, you know, we didn't have any inflation because there was an issue with supply change, uh, supply chains. I think this is much more of a fiscal issue where the, the U.S. government decided we're going to, you know, send out a lot of money 
both in the stimulus checks, but then also some of the programs, the enhanced unemployment, the the PPP, the disaster loans, the rent forbearance, all of these things. And it meant that consumers' balance sheets were actually ramped up. And when there's this extra money that flows to not experience-based things, that's flow to good things, goods, uh, that stuff, you know, is bound to happen. It's, it shouldn't be a surprise. And so I think the, the fiscal government policies caused s- these supply side issues, and we're still dealing with those. And so, you know, and on, I think a lot of times people look at the, the demand side of things and not the supply side of things. But when you think about it, if this was a pure demand-side inflation, you would say, okay, Federal Reserve, let's hike interest rates, let's lower demand, and then things will come back into equilibrium. But I, So anyway, I, I'm not sure that uh, the Federal Reserve hiking rates will really do anything. And, and I think it's, it's sort of interesting. A lot of times when the Fed hikes rates, it does result in some sort of a, an economic slowdown. It doesn't wind up being a recession. I don't know. I think the the counter argument to that is is what we're seeing on the corporate earnings side, and I'll I'll touch on those prices as well real quick. So I just wanted to cover the inflation side of this real quick. Um, the other thing with with the inflation side is BlackRock put out uh, uh, a slide deck that uh, I believe they sent it to me. Uh, it's called Student of the Market. It's a really good slide deck they put out. And one of the things they did was they broke down sort of the, the component, components of headline inflation and what goes into headline inflation. And, and they put out a, a really interesting chart. Uh, I, I don't have an email to link to this, but maybe you can search for it and find it online. I'm not, I'm not sure if we just get it on because we're on the institutional side. But uh, they, they put out some great research, Re- really, really good document, good piece, and I'll share some of my interpretation of, of what I saw here. And they show changes shown are a 12-month period ending. So this was the end of the year, December 31st. And we know that the overall change of CPI for full year 2021 was plus 7%. That's what was it at the end of 2020. Look at the CPI basket at the end of 2021. It went up 7%. And then what they did was they showed the, the weighting of each of the categories. And then they show in those categories, like what was the price change? So you kind of go high level, second level, third level. And as I, I was mentioning, you know, the CPI does, they, they have housing as a pretty good component. Uh, according to BlackRock slides, about 41.6% makes up housing. And whether that's owner equivalent rents or that's uh, you know housing costs and all that stuff, again, I'll, I'll, I'll bore you with the details on that. But housing was up plus 5.1% over the year. Okay. Uh, and then the specific category, price change, lodging away from home was up plus 23.9%. I think that counts in, you know, VRBO and what's the, oh, Airbnb, the other one, right? And that's interesting. 
And I would say that, you know, in 2020, I, you know, I, I don't remember what the numbers were in 2020, but obviously nobody wanted to go anywhere. I mean, if you wanted to go somewhere, they were giving it away and a lot of places weren't open. So that was one of the components. Food was up 6% and food was, you know, makes up about 15% of CPI. Medical care was up plus 2.2%. That makes up 8.5% of the basket. Transportation was another huge one. Uh, transportation makes up a little over 17% of the basket. Uh, but transportation in general was up 21% and car and truck rentals were up 36%. Now, remember what happened. Didn't uh, Hertz file for bankruptcy? They sold off their fleet. I remember I was actually looked and it was... Uh, probably March, April, May of 2020, they were, I'm not going to say giving cars away, but if you wanted to buy a car, a used car from Hertz, I mean, they were, they were selling stuff, uh, really, really nice prices. Let's just put it that way. Cause they were selling off a lot of their fleet. So anyway, I mean, it's, uh, when you look at this stuff, um, it's interesting to look at the categories and, you know, I mean, obviously housing is a huge part, a huge part of uh, the, the CPI index, uh, as, is, as is food as well. And by the way, meats, fish, poultry, eggs up 12.5%. They don't have avocados listed on here, but that's, that's another story altogether. And so when you think about what you know, when you think about what all this stuff means, um, I mean, look, it goes back to a lot more money, money sent out, uh, a lot of the, the fiscal side. And this is a huge fiscal response. And in my opinion, it, it caused uh, a supply side issue. And there wasn't necessarily an issue with demand. So we'll see what happens with the, the Federal Reserve for sure. And then we think about what's really the, the market reaction year to date. And I say, I mean, I'll, I'll go over some of the numbers in a little bit on what's happened in the past during rate tightening cycles. Again, not everyone is the same. And a lot of these, we did not have any, any bit of inflation. I'll talk about, oh, by the way, I, I just wanted to touch on that for a second too, because uh, you know, a lot of people have said, uh, we haven't had any inflation since the 1980s. I go back to 1990, year over year, 5.31%, 5.32% rounded. And then we had uh, our, the 1990, um, you know, re recession into, uh, into 91, actually. So inflation had, the way it worked, I mean, inflation in 1980 was 12.15%, really high, right? Comes down in 1982 to 4.5%, but it sort of oscillated 45 you know, three, three quarters, uh, right around there. And it was since that 1990 period that inflation has just sort of come down and now had been oscillating, you know, one and a half, two and a half. And then this last regime after the 2008 crisis, it was, I mean, more often than not below 2%. 
So this is, you know, and by the way, 2020 was 1.6%. And 2020 inflation went down. It was 2.23% year over year change in 2019. Uh, but it was only one point, call it rounded 6% in 2020. So we'll see if this is a, uh, a short-term spike or not. I think a lot of this stuff has to get worked out. All right, let me transfer to the markets, though. So the, the good news is, thus far, what we're seeing in the markets is, is not a, an earnings recession, meaning earnings are still, they, they're, they're growing. Uh, they're not growing as much maybe as they did last year, although I don't think we have all the, the numbers quite yet. But year to date, and this is from J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Markets, uh, is where I'm getting this information from, is earnings growth is 2.7% year-to-date. And the S&P, by the way, is down a little over 8%. The multiple growth, and I've been talking about this last couple of weeks, something I've been watching, especially more recently, um, multiples have contracted almost 11%, minus 10.8%. And again, what that means is your price to earnings if earnings stay constant and what you're willing to pay for a stock goes up, that's multiple growth. If earnings stay constant and what you're willing to pay for a stock goes down, uh, you're, you're, pay you're paying a less multiple, meaning how many times earnings is the price. And so what's happened, and remember last year was minus 7.6%, and then year to date we're minus 10.8%. So this re- um, I've heard people on CNBC talk, call it a re-rating and this multiple growth, negative multiple growth continues. And so, but earnings are still positive. And so that's, that's a good sign uh, by the markets at least. And so I, I want to point, you know, I always point that out because I mean, look, it's uh if you saw, you know, multiples staying the same or multiples increasing, or you saw earnings really going negative in general over the long term, I mean, there's a pretty good correlation between the stock market and and earnings growth. In the near term, mm -hmm. stocks move all over the place, and we know that cash flows and earnings don't change by the same percentage as the stocks do every year. Speaking of valuation too, what we're seeing is with this, you know, the multiple contraction, forward PEs are only uh, 19.6 times, uh, you know, one year forward. So anyway, let's get to our main thing though, and that's what happens in periods when the Fed is raising rates. And by the way, uh, another interesting thing too, uh, in, in that uh, the BlackRock slide deck that uh, I thought was, was really good. Uh, basically, seven of the last 13 Januarys have been negative, but all seven finished the year higher, meaning positive. And of recent history, you know, 2022 is down negative, what do we say, 8.6% now, did I say that? What did I say we're down for the year? No, we're down more than that, aren't we? Hang on. Let me get the number here again. Uh, yeah, we're down negative 8.1%. And so in past years, you know, like 2016, negative 5% in January, finished the year up 
plus 17.8. I don't know what's going to happen with the market. That's why we we invest in broad markets, but then we have hedges so we can stay invested. And by the way, if anybody wants, uh, as always, if you want information on how we invest and more information there, or you have ideas for the show, uh, please drop me a line at Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Zega. Uh, that's Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple, financial.com. Financial's up to you to spell correctly. Okay, so uh, I thought that was interesting too. And But we look at the rate tightening cycles and what happens following the first interest rate hike. And the Federal Reserve... You know, this is, and this is from 94 to 2021, 12 months following the first rate hike, the average performance of, let's say, high yield bonds, about four and a half percent. U.S. bonds in general up 3.2 percent. Bank loans uh, do a little bit better, up plus six percent, six and a half percent. And then you kind of look and you see, okay, how do stocks do? And the way they broke this down, they sort of put the dividing line as, uh, let's see here, you know, plus three hikes. So is this, uh, yeah, rates up 1% plus versus rates up less than 1%, meaning you could do four quarter point rises to get to 1%. You could do 50% rise, two 50% rises to get to uh, 1%. And so 94, and I remember the markets in 94, I, I always say the markets had the EKG of a rock. It was, stocks didn't really go anywhere. 1994, there were six rate hikes. And that accounted for 250 basis points. In other words, if you started at zero, you wound up at two and a half percent. By the way, rates weren't zero back then, but you get the idea. And stocks for the year did plus 1.3%. Uh, international stocks did better. Small cap was down. And high yield bonds, the, the category was down 3.1%. Okay. So what you see though is on this chart, when rates go up 1% plus versus rates up less than 1%, rates up less than 1% on average US stocks did about plus 21.2%. This is only since 1994. And by the way, this 94 covers really good period, right? I mean, we had the sort of the lost decade, 2000 to 2009. Uh, but 94 to 99 was was really good. That was the end of the one of the best bull markets we've ever seen. So uh, the thing that is interesting too, it looks like small caps don't do as well as, as stocks on average when you get those more than 100 basis point rise. Uh, but high yield bonds, surprisingly, did they held up. Uh, their worst year was minus 7.2% in 2000. We know high yield is definitely correlated to uh, the US you know, stocks in general. They've got a 70% correlation historically. And of course, the, the high yield spread is really probably, in my opinion, one of the more important things to follow. And that's the spread tightening, spread widening, meaning the, the spread of the interest rates on high yield to the interest rate on U.S. Treasuries. So what I can tell you is that even in rate heightening cycles, rate, rate 
tightening schedule uh, cycles. Uh, U.S. stocks didn't do that bad. I mean, minus nine in 2000, minus 4.4 in 2018. It was pretty stark though. When you see rates up less than 100 basis points and, you know, I mean, we're, we're some of these years are plus 21, plus 21. Those are plus 1.4, plus 37, plus 33, plus 12%. I thought that was really interesting the way they broke that down. And there's a clear delineation between rates going up 100 basis points or a full one percentage point and staying below there. Um, and so I think the, the jury is still out on how much the Fed will, will raise over this whole thing. And I don't know if the markets will let them. And I'm also not sure that as the fiscal stimulus continues to wind down, that some of the, the inflation won't wind up getting fixed. I mean, I could see a scenario where the Fed raises and inflation goes down just because the there's no more extra fiscal stimulus. Some of the stuff gets wind down. Uh, the supply chains catch up. And then the Fed sort of gets credit for it. There's also a scenario where you could say, okay, well, the Fed's going to raise rates, which will hurt the economy. And maybe, just maybe, they could cause some distress in the economy that wouldn't otherwise have been there. You know, we'll see. We'll see. And again, this is why I don't make predictions necessarily in the market. You just generally, you know where I stand. It's be invested in the market, always be invested in the market, have hedges on. And then there's other things that, uh, whether it's a buffer, meaning give yourself some room on the downside, or just looking at alternatives, things like selling volatility on a small percentage of a portfolio. These, these to me are really interesting. I mean, we use bonds as a funding source for our, our hedges, and we're very short on the curve. We use short duration, high yield. Uh, and then many times we're hedged that as well. But, you know, so I'm not saying you should take anything I say and, and you know, make any investment decisions by any means. And we, we make that clear, especially when we do contrarian corner, uh, where last week I gave my, my, my pick for a contrarian play as, uh, you know, buying emerging market value, uh, which some people I think shook their head at. But, I do think you have to keep this in perspective. And the perspective I think I'd like you to take is that the Fed has raised rates before and the market is not, you know, the, the market necessarily does not automatically go down when we see raising rates. The other thing I'd say is keep an eye on corporate profits, keep an eye on the net profit margins, keep an eye on revenues. Uh, revenues, although, you know, that's the top line, the bottom line is earnings when you see those, those announcements, but you want to see earnings continue to grow. Uh, but you also want to see if, if they can keep those net profit margins, because so far they've passed along any of these rises in, uh, you know, producer prices or, or input cost to consumers and consumers have taken it. We know retail sales were just up. So, but keep an eye on the revenues because the, if your revenues um, continue to grow, if your earnings continue to grow, if your profit margins stay, those are all really good things. 
I don't know if that's going to lead to uh, results in the market or not. I'm saying this is what I sort of look at. And then the other thing to keep an eye on is I, I always like to watch the Fed probability. Um, I mean, you, you can do it yourself by just pulling up the Fed funds, futures, but the CME does a great job. I'll again link to that in the show notes, uh, doing that probability function because those will move around. And then I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of times some of the the people, you know, I remember when the Federal Reserve, like nobody talked on the Federal Reserve, uh, especially prior to Greenspan or Greenspan. Even Greenspan talked. I mean, a lot of people, they called it Greenspan speak. You didn't really know what he was saying. So I think a lot of this is they're, they're sort of floating stuff out there and seeing what the reaction is. And maybe that was part of why Bullard came out. And the market reacted really negatively to that. So they say, okay, well, that, maybe that's not a, a great idea. Okay, that, that's not going to work. So now we'll go back to this measure thing. I don't know. But I do wonder sometimes if it's not strategic how they go on and, and talk about rates and see what happens, see what the, the reaction is, see what the market would, can withstand. My market meaning, I mean the stock market. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but that's what I'm keeping an eye on. And, you know, we've, we were very early on the container shipping thing, so early that people thought I was uh, a little nuts for looking at it. And the, one of the things to watch, I think, is it the, the port system of LA, which is Long Beach, LA. Uh, I don't know if it extends all the way up to, to Oakland, but I think it's the LA ports. They have a a negotiation coming up with the union, at least uh, from what I've read. I believe that's uh, that's something that's coming up. So I don't know if that will start to get in the news or not. I believe last time I looked, it was July, their contract ends. But these little things that, that are out there, uh, you never quite know. So anyway, I hope this is helpful. Uh, I'll put a link to the Cleveland Fed, which is, of course is the inflation now cast. Uh, I'll also put a link to... Uh, the Atlanta GDP now, because I think that's another good one to watch. Um, and by the way, I mean, the, the GDP now numbers, so far, they have an estimate of about 1.3%. Again, that, that just takes in all the information that they have up to that point. And so that model is going to, and right now they are under the range of the top 10 and bottom 10 average forecast. So that one's a, the Atlanta Fed is a little bit lower than that. Uh, but, you know, we're still seeing positive growth. And the other thing I would tell you too is this. Uh, we did an episode, I gotta remember which one it was, uh, but we, we went over some surprising data of presidents, makeup of Congress, meaning Republican, Democrat. And I went back and I looked at historical, what the returns were based upon, you know, three Dems, meaning president, Senate, Congress versus three Republicans versus mixed. Uh, and I also looked at the, the average annualized returns of uh, you know, the S&P for each president. And I looked at inflation. One of the ones that surprised me, because you always think back, remember when late 70s, when Jimmy Carter was, was president. And by the way, inflation was, was going higher uh, from the point, I think it was started with Nixon, Ford. I remember he had the, uh, was it whip inflation now? 
I think it was the win. Wasn't it during his re-election he had these buttons that said win, whip inflation now? I seem to remember that. And and then it's a Carter. But then, you know, there was positive GDP, real GDP growth even after inflation, uh, which actually, even when I saw that, it was surprising. And the stock market had annualized gains under him. You know, the market goes up most years, so it's not that surprising. Uh, but anyway, we'll uh, we'll come back to this again next week. Maybe we'll have uh, a guest on next week. Maybe we won't. And as always, please send emails with suggestions for topics. Uh, people seem to really want to focus in these days about inflation, what's going to happen with rate rises and things like that. So happy to, to do that. Uh, also, I'll put the links in, in the show notes. And again, sadly, I did not see anyone from Gibraltar, Gibraltar, sorry, uh, at least the, the metrics that I look. But when and if we have that one listener in that country, I will happily send out, I don't know how much it's going to cost me, but I'll autograph a copy of my book, Broken Pie Chart, available on Amazon, and I will send it out. But it has to be you know, a person who's there. can't be like a, a VPN or anything like that. And just want to say thanks to everyone listening. And I'm always surprised in how many countries around the world this show goes to. And appreciate you listening, and hopefully you're getting something out of it. All right, that's it for episode 156. We'll talk to you all next week. Take care.